Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas to all of you. It is so great to see all of you. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at the church. And uh, thank you for joining us on our third and final week of our Christmas series that we're calling Hope is Here. And our whole um, premise behind doing this three-week series was to really just try to build for all of us some anticipation and um, Uh, you know, Advent or looking forward to December 25th, which is the day we'll celebrate Jesus' birth. We'll gather with our families as best we can, however we can do that in this COVID season, right? And we'll celebrate with family and desserts. Who loves Christmas desserts? Yes, all, all that stuff. And we'll do all of that. But underneath all of that, we were really hoping to just lay into um, this season an undergirding, uh, a reminding, if you will, of, of really what this season is about. It is about Jesus. It is about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if we understand really what that means for us, then it can drive us towards worship and thankfulness and gratitude this Christmas season. So that's our whole premise um, in doing this series. And I wanted to let you know a little bit in the creative process behind the scenes on how we got to this three-week series. Um, I've been looking at a, a snow globe. There's probably nothing more quintessential to the holiday season, I mean, besides a Christmas tree, right, than a snow globe. Everybody has seen a snow globe before. Maybe you own one. Maybe you remember playing with one at your grandparents' house when, when you were younger. But when we look at a snow globe, it actually can tell us a, a number of things. And it's those things that I wanted to look at during this Christmas series. And so this will be a review for some of you. And for everyone else, this will be a more tactile look at what I've been trying to say these past few weeks. When I look at a snow globe, the first thing I notice is that it has a creator. Now, maybe that could go unsaid. Nobody just thinks that a snow globe just came into existence all on, all on its own, right? If you think that, we have other issues to deal with first. But no, no, there is a creator that created the, the snow globe. And when they were first invented back in the end of the 19th century, they were painstakingly crafted. The miniatures were hand-painted. They were put inside of the globe with water and all of the little material that makes the snow. And, and when we think about that aspect of the snow globe and apply it to our lives or look at the, the snow globe lens in our own lives, we see too that our world has a creator as well. So if you were here in week one of this series, we talked about Jesus being with God in creation. In fact, when you read the, the gospel of John or John's biography, if you will, of Jesus' life and death, He doesn't start with a baby in Bethlehem or a manger or wise men or a star and all these things. He starts in the beginning. He says, listen, there was a person that was with God in the beginning who created everything and everything was made through that person. And then John continues on. And a little bit later, he says these words, and that person put on flesh and came to dwell among us. And who is that person? That is Jesus, that's Jesus. And so Jesus was in creation with God creating everything, which is so helpful to us because it, it just means this, that we didn't, we didn't just happen to be here by accident. 
maybe, maybe some people just need to hear that this Christmas season. That you're not an accident. You're not just the result of some evolutionary device to get you into this place. But there's actually an intention and a purpose behind you and your life and our world. And it is Jesus Christ. And so the snow globe has a creator, which is great. But the other thing about a snow globe is that you can actually take it. And my favorite thing to do is to shake the poo out of it, right? Just and just make all the snow swirl and swirl and try to keep it going and going and going and going and going. Which points to another aspect of our lives that oftentimes we find ourselves in the midst of life's storms sometimes. And many times these storms aren't even caused by us. right? They're caused by other things. Maybe this last year would be a great example of that for us. That this last year with COVID and everything, this, this worldwide global pandemic, we've been realizing that, that we are experiencing something not just uniquely. We're not just having uh, issues with storms or, or uh, disturbance in our own lives, but we are experiencing it globally. We all are going through this together. It impacts some people more than others. Some people, it's just a, you know, the nuisance of wearing a mask and missing holiday dinners. And for others, it's been the loss of loved ones this year. And, and the storms of life come at us full throttle sometimes, even when you had nothing to do with the storm. And so the second week of this series, we looked at this one truth that the prophets in the Old Testament would talk about the kingdom of God, that God was going to establish through his chosen one, his anointed one, his Messiah, Jesus. And it just says this, when God establishes his kingdom in Jesus, the prophets would say this, that, that God is building shelter from the storm. It's a metaphor that was used in the Old Testament, that e even though we are created by God and in his world living the life that he has for us, oftentimes storms come, but if we are in God, we will find shelter from the storm. In fact, Jesus, when he finishes his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he borrows back that metaphor from the Old Testament and, and tells this story. He says, listen, it is a wise man who builds his house upon a sure foundation or the rock, he says. And just so you know, the rock is who? Jesus. Yes, the answer is Jesus. Welcome to Renaissance. The answer is always, always Jesus. Yes, if you, it is a wise man who builds his house or his home or his life upon Jesus. So when the storms come and the wind comes and the rain comes and it blows against the house, it will remain. But it's the foolish one who builds his house on something other than Jesus. And when the storms come there and the rain comes and the wind comes, your home will be destroyed. Your life could be destroyed. And so week two, we talked about God establishing his kingdom and providing shelter for all of us from the storm. Even this storm that was 2020. And this last week, today, I just want to talk about the, this final aspect of, of a snow globe. And it's this, is that if you actually set a snow globe down and don't mess with it for a while, all of the snow or the sediment will find its way to the bottom. If you let it stay quiet or dormant or whatever, if you just leave it alone for a while, it will settle itself. And then, and sometimes only then, can you see the real beauty of the craftsman once again. When you think about that, sometimes through all the storm, we, we lose sight of what God is doing in our lives. We lose sight of the fact that God is our creator. We lose sight of what he's done through Jesus because the storm is blowing all around us. But sometimes when we're just quiet enough and settled enough, we can begin to see God in all of this once again. In fact, the, the, the reality for our lives is oftentimes we don't like to be quiet. We don't like to settle. 
I don't want to make this, you know, a, a, a talk about our culture these days, but not many of us know how to be quiet for more than a few moments. I, I've once time, I one time shared this in the church that they've done studies with goldfish, and goldfish actually have longer attention spans than humans nowadays. What? <laughs> right? Set your phone down for 20 minutes, and, or take your phone from your children for 20 minutes and watch them lose their minds. We don't know how to be quiet, is all my, I'm trying to say here. And so this week, I want to uh, pay particular attention to that. What, is our, what does it look like when we trust God, who is our creator, who's building for us shelter in the storm through Jesus, if we just quiet ourselves long enough to let the storm settle around us? What, how would our lives look differently? So there, that's my work before us today. So um, I just want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads one last time? God, thank you for everything that you do for us in Jesus. This Christmas season is really unique this year. That We're going to um, still worship Jesus. We're still going to thank you for everything that you have done through him. But we have to do it differently. And so I'm praying, Lord God, that it is in the, the non-traditional different ways this year um, that we celebrate, that you would just break in, that you would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear things differently this year, that Jesus would be uh, paramount in all of our celebrations. God, we thank you for everything that you do. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a, a small boy, maybe five or six or so, I was young, just young enough to have memories of this, but I don't know all the details. I remember going to a department store with my mom. I don't remember which one, but I think they had blue light specials. Anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> all right, all the old people are like, hey, Kmart, I remember that one. So anyways, <laughs> so we're going to the department store, and my mom did what she did every time we went together. She says, now don't wander off, Jeff, don't wander off, right? And um, so we're going up to the store, and it was the summertime, I think, because there were things out on the sidewalk, and before we even got into the store, I had wandered away from my mom. I'd stopped to look at something in the bin, who knows what, um, and she had kept going. I didn't know this, but when I got done looking at the thing I wanted to look at, I grabbed the cart that was next to me and proceeded to walk with that woman for the next five or so minutes until I looked up in horror and realized it wasn't my mother. Now, fortunately, my mom was just a little bit further down the sidewalk, and when I got back to her, she reminded me, Jeff, I told you not to wander away. Now, I don't know why that story sticks with me, but it leads up to another one. Same store, same type of thing in my mind. This is how this plays out. And we're inside now, and I'm, I'm hiding inside the clothes racks. Anyone remember doing that? Is that the coolest thing? Do kids still do that? I think they do, right? It is the absolute best thing to do. In the middle of the clothes rack, you don't think anyone can see you, but everyone knows you're there because your legs are sticking out. And uh, my mom... Again, says, Jeff, don't wander away. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. I said, okay, fine. So I don't listen as per usual. And I jump inside this clothes rack, and I'm in there for quite a while. I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I think I have it, just so you know. And I don't say that, you know, I mean, I really think I do. I, 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 I can set my intention on something and be so fixated on it, I forget what's happening around me. So I jump inside this clothes rack, and I'm pretending there's dinosaurs out there, and I'm inside of a cave, who knows what. And my mom continues to go and go until I finally snap out of it and step out of the, the rack and my mom is nowhere to be found. This time she's not just down the aisle, she's gone, gone. And I'm a young child and I begin to panic. I begin to look around, running frantically through the aisles looking for her and I cannot find her. I find myself terrified, alone, wondering what's happening. And I think someone came to help. It could have been a clerk, store manager, possibly another mom who's been through this before. And that person was able to unite me with my mom where I felt comfort once again. 
Now, it's possible, it's possible my mom knew all of this was happening, and she was doing that thing that sometimes parents do, where they let their children just run out on just enough rope, right, to get themselves in trouble, but they're still watching from afar, and I don't need to figure that out with you guys, I'll save that for my therapist, I have no idea, right? She's here, you can ask her yourself, I have no idea. I just know this, that that happened to me when I was five or six years old, And as I now march down the hill that is adulthood, right, towards the end of my life, I'm 51 now, that's over the hill, right, that story sticks with me. That story still sticks with me. So you can fast forward from the five or six years old that I was, 20-some years, two decades, and now I'm a young Christian. Picture this. And I'm beginning to learn about God and begin to understand who God is. And I'm working my way through the Bible, as many Christians do, reading Scripture. And I began to realize that when I'm read the Bible, I see that story of a child being lost in a department store in the scriptures. What I mean by that is this, is it is in the first three chapters of the Bible, we see that God, who created everything, including Adam and Eve, and places them inside of the garden to be fruitful and to multiply, to take dominion over everything that God has created. And he's letting them do what they want to do. And he gives them one little rule, much like my mom did. Don't wander, Jeff. He says, don't eat from this tree. You can do anything else you want to do, but don't eat from this one tree. Well, Adam and Eve did what I did. They disobeyed. But rather than getting lost from my mom for a short time, actually Adam and Eve entered into this thing we call sin, and they have created a chasm between God and humanity now. Because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, all of mankind has now been lost from God. So God banishes them from the garden, but before he does so, he promises one day to send a savior. Guess who the savior is? Which is why Christmas is so important to us. That This story, when we read the Bible, that humanity, all of humanity has been lost as well. We are like that child, if you will, lost in the department store. Maybe there's actually a better metaphor for it. We're actually like a person who's been lost in the wilderness, in the woods, in the desert, And hear me, and if someone doesn't come and find us, then we will die out there. We have no hope of finding our way back to where we can be found. We have no hope. And if someone doesn't come and rescue us, we will die. I want to take that sort of tension and and read you a part of the Christmas story. If you have a a Bible with you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, we will put the words on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. It's going to be fine. But I want to read verses 18 through 23 and see a little bit of how Jesus' birth remedies the issue or the concern that humanity has been lost because of sin. Starting here in verse 18, Matthew writes these words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged, if you will, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, or from God. She is going to bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord um, had spoken by the prophet, and this is a quote of Isaiah, and he says, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God with us. If you're reading this at first blush, maybe at first glance, you see what appears to be a discrepancy. It's one of the things that I first noticed when I was reading through the Bible. I see here in verse 21 that they're going to call his name Jesus, right? She'll bear a son and call his name Jesus. And then in verse 23, they said all of this took place because the virgin is going to conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And you're like, wait a minute. Is it Jesus or is it Emmanuel? And the answer to that question is yes, (laughs) It is both of those things. And what we need to understand is that oftentimes the names here are less um, names, more titles. So let's just pause for a moment and look at what it says in verse 23, that behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is actually a title for Jesus, meaning God with us. And this is not one of the only other titles given to Jesus by Isaiah or other prophets in the Old Testament. There are many other names or titles given to Jesus. We've sang some of them earlier. Isaiah says that he will also be called Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He is all of those things. But he's also Jesus, which is what Matthew says here in verse 21, that when, the, the, when Mary gives birth to a son, they'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. So he is, in fact, God with us and our Savior which points to this ultimate reality, which is really where I want us to to pause and consider for a moment. When Jesus had grown into a man, had begun his ministry, was beginning to preach the kingdom of God to all the world, he said something unique about himself. Luke records this in his gospel. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus, speaking of himself, says these words. I, the son of man, right? I have come to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save. Those two things are actually what Jesus is understanding. The fulfillment of those names, Emmanuel and Jesus, really are laying into. That Jesus Christ has come, has taken on flesh so that he might seek and to save those people who are lost. Uh, When we see first that Jesus seeks the lost, we know this. That oftentimes when we're lost, we can feel alone. We can feel desperate, afraid, terrified, much like the child lost in the department store or someone lost in the wilderness. But when we really look to the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, I guess, the story of Jesus at Christmas time, it just means this, that we are not alone. God has come to be with us in Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you feel comforted by that? You can just clap if you want. I'd feel better if you did. And if not... (laughs) You're like, who's making me clap? What kind of church is this? Listen, I don't care, but Jesus might, right? Because that's really why he came. He wants to come to, to seek us, to make us know that we're not alone in our life, that when storms come, we're not abandoned. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? In fact, many of us, if we were to be honest with each other, um, I just about fell down. I'll be fine. Um, (laughs) Many of us, if we're honest with one another, this last year we felt somewhat abandoned by God. And I don't think God's terrified of your concern or your, your questions. Where are you in all of this? How could you let this happen? I don't think he's concerned about all of that. But if we could set that aside and just look into that manger in our mind's eye, if you will, and just remember that God didn't have to come the way he did, but he did so. 
And he did so that he might be with us. That Emmanuel meaning God with us. Jesus has come to, um, to experience life and everything that life has to offer. He experienced sorrow as well. So when we bring sorrow to the Lord, he says, yes, I know. When we bring heartache to the Lord, he says, yes, I know. We bring abandonment to the, to the Lord, he goes, yes, I've been abandoned too. He knows all of the things that we've experienced. And so Jesus says, right, in Luke 19, verse 10, I have come to seek and save those who are lost. When we see Jesus' birth, Emmanuel, God with us, we are reminded that we are not alone. And the second idea here is that he saves the lost. It's one thing to be found, but it doesn't help you if the person who found you can't actually save you, right? Does this make sense? Like if you're, if you're in a place where you need help and someone sees you, hey, and they wave at you or whatever, a dog runs by or whatever, something's actually found you, but that thing can't actually save you. There's no help. But Jesus is not just someone who seeks the lost, but in fact can save the lost, which speaks to the second name, Jesus, which means he will save his people from what? From their sins. From the very thing that Adam and Eve gave all of humanity, a sinful nature, Jesus Christ has come to save us from our sins, which just means this. We can have a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He can help us in all of these things. He can save us. So um, if you look on the website of the National Forest uh, Society or National Forest Service, rather, it says that if you're ever out in the wilderness and you find yourself lost, the first thing they tell you to do is to stop. To stay put, don't panic, easier said than done, I'm sure, right? But to stay put. And why is this? It's because they want you to stay in, in, in your location because someone might have seen you recently, and when they send rescuers to find you, they're going to look at the last place they saw you. They're going to look for you the last place someone saw you. Oh, they were on that trail up by the cliff. They were there. And they'll go there first. But in, in our panic, maybe in your panic, we run around with energized by adrenaline and fear. We run a mile, two, three, four, five, six miles away from where we once were. When the rescuers come, they cannot find us there. So the Forest Service says to stay put, to settle yourself, to be quiet. The same can be true in the spiritual life as well. Many of us growing up, if you're like me, have experienced this lostness, this feeling of emptiness, this wondering what life is all about. And you, like me, have sought an answer. You have sought someone to help you or something to save you from this lost feeling. And you've chased after this emptiness and to fill it with things like, I don't know, carbs, anyone? <laughs> right? Alcohol, drugs, sex, your spouse, oh, I just got to get married. Once I get married, everything will be better. <laughs> My wife is in the room. I totally forgot. Or if only I could have a child or another child. If only my promotion would come through. If only we could get the vacation house, the boat, the project done. The only, you see what I mean? And we're looking into our lives trying to fulfill a need for us. That just causes us to run circles and circles and circles. We're expending energy looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for calmness that those things can never provide. Eternally, we can only have a little bit of comfort before we get anxious again and look for something else as well. But Jesus has come to seek 
and to save. And that rather than fill that void or that emptiness with something other than him, if we can just quiet ourselves. Picture in your mind's eye sitting under a star, starry night, maybe like the shepherds on that Christmas evening when Jesus was born. And an announcement has been made. You don't need to run anymore. You don't need to panic. You don't need to be afraid. You know that's the first sermon about Jesus ever preached? It was by that angel that comes to those shepherds at night. The story is this. Maybe you've heard it before. Just as Mary was delivering her baby in the, the stable and she places him in a manger, an angel comes to some shepherds out in the field at night, just outside of Bethlehem. The skies open, the glory of the Lord shone around them, the Bible tells us, and then the, the angel says these words, don't be afraid. Fear not. Now, possibly, well, for sure, the angel's speaking to those shepherds because all throughout the Bible, whenever we see angels going before men, the first thing they say is, don't be afraid. <laughs> I don't know what angels look like, but they must be frightening things, right? Because everyone's terrified when an angel comes. But in this instance, I think the angels are saying something else or something more. I think they're talking to the shepherds, and they are, in fact, saying, don't be afraid. But I think those words echoed off the mountains of Moabite to the east and skipped across the Galilean Sea to the west, because those words have been reverberating throughout all of creation ever since the pronouncement of Jesus' birth. You don't need to be afraid any longer. You don't have to panic in life um, any longer. You don't have to fret in life's storms because God has come to be with you. God has come to save you. God can, in fact, bring comfort and peace to you, which isn't, isn't those two words we oftentimes use at the Christmas season, comfort and peace. This Christmas, I want us to look beyond the, the porcelain Jesus that we have in our manger scenes, Right? that we drag out every year and place on the mantle or place in a part of the house and we don't let children play with them. Don't play with that. Those aren't toys. Oh my goodness. That's the opposite of what Jesus believes. <laughs> yes, he wants people to engage with him and to play with him, if you will. I wonder if we could just think about what that looks like for us this Christmas. In a few days, again, we'll gather with our families in the best way that COVID will allow and we'll celebrate. And we'll have Christmas desserts. And if you're a person who drops off Christmas desserts to people, um, I live at 829. <laughs> Write this down. West Forsyth Parkway. West Forsyth Parkway. In fact, don't bring anything. I won't, I won't have a chance to eat it. I already have too much anyways. But, but amidst all of the Christmas desserts, which I think are wonderful, and, and the Christmas carols and the family get-togethers, there's something far greater in all of this. Jesus Christ, the creator of everything, has come to establish his kingdom. He's going to give you shelter. He's going to help. He can, he can help you build a life that will not um, sway and rock back and forth and be destroyed when another storm comes next year. You guys realize another storm is coming next year, right? We just don't know what it is yet. But they always come. In fact, that's so interesting in Jesus' sermon. He doesn't say if the storm comes. He says when the storm comes. So we'll establish our lives built upon Jesus Christ, which is why Christmas is so important, which is why we celebrate and we worship and we have gratitude and thankfulness. So the snow globe's pretty impressive when you see it this way, don't you think? It's wonderful. 
I want to close with this last little thought. It was Billy Graham who once said that Christmas should be a time of hope, a time of renewed hope, not hope in the status quo, amen, thank you, Lord Jesus. We don't want the normalcy of hope. But he says we should have hope in Jesus Christ. And Christmas should bring hope that God is still in the shadow of history, still in the messiness, if you will. And there's hope that despite our tangled bungling, despite our running around, trying to find our way out, trying to save ourselves, right? Despite all of those things, God is still the one who can bring order out of our chaos. And that's what Christmas is for us. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for what his birth means to us. We thank you, God, that he is, um, that you, Jesus, you, you chose to come to earth to be with us, to be a true picture of what it looks like to, to save us, to seek us, and to find us. God, I'm asking that we could, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we could be people who would just quiet ourselves long enough for the storm to settle, to just settle ourselves long enough for us to hear your calming voice and to look at Jesus Christ as the one who saves us. Father, we don't want to run in panic anymore. We don't want to run in desperation any longer. We want to be calm, to be quiet, and to hear all of the things that you have to say to us. God, we thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 